0: The NCAA tournament starts this week, from what I understand. Correct? Did I, did I, I didn't miss anything yet, did I? I mean, I've got my red and black on. I'm ready for a little bit of stuff playing. What a rotten day that was. Anyway. <clears throat> you know, I've still got to preach on the weekend after that. You know, I just, anyway. But I'll tell you <clears throat> I'll tell you it, to me, it proves, and I've mentioned this to you before, it, it proves that, that God does indeed have a special place for your His heart, because because He knew I was going to be preaching this morning on what happens when life throws lemons at you, and so He He obviously ordained it to Louisville to lose, so that I would have to own the sermon before I preach it to you. I would have to experience the lemons being thrown my way, so that then I could preach to you from a position of strength, having full understanding of what it's like to have a really, really rotten day from time to time. But what, you know, the truth is, though, we joke about that sort of thing, but what happens when when things get real serious? And you may have seen on the sign this week, when life throws lemons. Now, I've heard it said, you know, when life hands you lemons or when life makes lemons or gives you lemons or whatever, You're, you're supposed to do what? You're supposed to make lemonade. Boy, isn't that great? So what terrible advice is that? I mean, that's just awful, isn't it? Okay, yeah, that's great. Oh, yeah, I got this handful of lemons here, and I'm just supposed to miraculously somehow turn these things into lemonade that, that I can... Just, I think that's just rotten advice, I guarantee. Now, somebody may tell people that all the time, and you may never come back here because you think I just told you advice rotten. That's okay. I still love you, and hope you still love me, and we'll agree with history. But I think it's rotten and awful and stinking advice. I really, really do. Because the truth is, you've you probably experienced, and I know, obviously, the family went through the death of a loved one this week, and funeral home visitation, own, and the funeral, and even the family meal, and all the different things that go with that. And you had some lemons, really, not not just handed to you. Here you go. That's a whole deal. It's fine. And, and many of you have had those kinds of things recently. And we'll look at this morning a variety of of, of Areas in, in which that happens—it's not just one thing. It's not just health. It's not just money. It's—it's it's all kinds of things. I mean, you live your life every week, and I realize that for most of us, we see each other once a week. And we smile and act as if everything's okay. But I realize that during the week, you're just like me, and you have things thrown at you, and you don't know what to do about. It. And you don't know what to what to say or how to handle them. And you're you're not trying to just just hold on. You're trying to dodge and you're whatever. Sometimes the truth is, life really does. Throw some lemons at you. I just handed—not just a little pithy advice to say, "Hey, when, when life hands you lemons, just just make lemonade." That didn't help. What do you do it, when when you when you find out that you've got this that's just happened, and this bill has come due, and oh, I wasn't expecting that, and oh, all of a sudden I'm dealing with health problems or family issues or or the death of a loved one or or financial whatever. What do you do when you're not holding one in each hand, but you're loaded down? It. And you didn't pick up the basket at Walmart to carry them all in. I mean, you're just here you are. What do you do in that case? And I think some of you that, that, that I know your story. And I know the things that have been thrown at you. And, and others who, who maybe you've you, just visiting with us, or maybe you've come here in recent weeks, and I don't particularly know your story yet, but I guarantee you that if you're human, you have those things thrown at you. What do you do? How do you handle that? I believe that it's through the Scripture and through the Scripture alone that we learn how best to handle those situations, how to know what to do when life begins, not just to hand us in a nice way, but to slow, literally throw lemons at us. I want you to turn with me to the book of Ruth. Ruth is in the Old Testament, just past the book of Judges, which is just past the book of Joshua. If you've got your Bible handy, I really would like you to turn there this morning and follow along, get familiar with your Bible, and and begin to learn where things are, and begin to read it and understand it the way that God wrote it and wants you to to understand it. We're going to look this morning at the second part of our two-part study on the book of Ruth itself. Last week, we, we looked at one of the purposes of the book of Ruth, which is to show us that in a time where the world and people in it seem to do whatever they feel is the best thing to do, just whatever they think is right, that there are always some who, who don't do that. There are always some who follow the Lord. And how can we follow their example as they follow the Lord? We saw that last week as we looked at three main characters. We, look at, and we looked at Naomi, we looked at Ruth, and we looked at a man named Boaz. This week, we're going to look at, at the main character of the book. The main character of the book is not Naomi, though she's at the beginning and the end. The main character is not Ruth, though she's also at the beginning and at the end, and all through. And, and then the main character is not even Boaz, who, who is introduced in chapter 2 and then carries us through the rest of the story. The main character is God himself, and what he does to a situation where they have uh, not one, not two, but several lemons thrown at them by life. Let's look in Ruth chapter 1. It, it's, uh, as I mentioned last week, let me give you a side note here. I mentioned last week to Mark, where is it they went against the grain in their society? This week, I want you, if you can, maybe if you, if you make a note on the bulletin, or if you're inclined, which is uh, up to you, to, to make a note in your Bible, to maybe put a little star, or just an arrow, or underline something. What were some of the lemons that they had thrown at them? What were some of the, the things that came their way? Maybe uh, they may weren't expecting that. Well, i being negative situations. So uh, let, let's look at this. During the time of the judges, verse 1, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to live in the land of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Shilion. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the land of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband Elimelech that night, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives, one named Orpah, and the other was named Ruth. And they lived in Moab for about ten years. And after that, both Malon and Chilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to leave the land of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to His people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. She said to them, each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show faithful love to you as He has shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord enable each of you to find security in the house of your new husband. She kissed them, and they wept loudly. No, they said to her, we will go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. I do you want to go with me? Am I able to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I, if I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from man? No, my daughters. My life is much too bitter for you to fear because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly. and orphan kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to him. And only said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her guys. Follow, follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, do not persuade me to leave you or go back and not follow you. For so wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be dead. May the Lord do this to me and even more. If anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, "This be Naomi!" Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered. For the Almighty has made me good. Boy. I left full, but the Lord has brought me back into it. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has pronounced judgment on me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter in law of Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This chapter is, <clears throat> is full, really full of different lemons that were thrown at Ruth and Naomi. just over and over, it seems one thing after another, and you've probably noticed many of the obvious things, and there are some some subtle things in there as well that I I hope we can draw out this morning. One of the purposes of Ruth is, is to show us that God is the One. He is the star of the show in all of this, because as we'll see in this book, He is the only One who can make the best of times out of what began as the worst of times. He's the only One that can do that. And so as we move forward this morning, I want to give you a guiding principle that we will look at and kind of break apart and, 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 and try to repeat in our minds so that we remember this leaving here. And it's this, when, when life throws lemons, trust God to make lemonade. When life throws lemons, trust God to make lemonade. And I said, I really believe the advice of, of when, when life makes your lemons, make lemonade, I think is rotten advice because I can't do that. I'm not the one who is all-wise and all-knowing and all-powerful. I'm not the one who, who knows why I'm in this situation. I'm not the one who knows the way out. I'm not the one who knows the future. And so I, I can't trust myself to make lemonade. to frankly, I on that. But God does. And He is the one. Not Ruth, not Naomi, not even Boaz. He's the one who winds up making lemonade at the very end of this story out of all the lemons... That they were handed. So when life throws lemons, don't don't make lemonade, but trust God to make lemonade. Now, here's what I want to look at. You'll see on the on your bulletin, on the back of your bulletin. If you're not a note taker, there's no problem. I just want you to turn the bulletin over. All right, play along for just a second. Dependents if you're paying attention for just a minute or two, all right, we'll we'll get along. You'll smile, I'll smile, while we have it. On the back of your bulletin, you'll see that there are down the left hand side some some blanks. What we're going to do is we're going to look at just some general categories. And in those general categories, what you had were the lemons that were thrown and the lemonade that God made out of all of that. And I think that through this, what you'll notice is that that though you may not face the same exact situation that we see in the book of Luke, but I think you'll face many of the same categories that they face. So what we're going to do first is we're going to, we're going to look at the categories, and as we look at them... I'm going to talk about and, and, and look in the scripture and we'll, we'll read about uh, the lemon that was thrown in that particular category. I just want you to be aware, here's how we're going to work through this this morning, that way well, you're not sitting there wondering, what's he doing? Where's he going with this? Hopefully it will make sense. The first category that they have thrown it in, is, in is, is a natural lemon. They have something that's very natural. In fact, it's, it's meteorology. How do you pronounce that? Meteorological. Is that a word? Meteorology. That's why I'm a preacher on a weatherman. like? Anyway, this is right. I can be half wrong. i still going to make a living doing that. But anyway, <clears throat> can't do that here. So, <clears throat> got to be all right. <clears throat> anyway, during the time of the judgment, look at the one. There was a what? A famine. Here's the first part of this natural lemon that's turned What does a famine mean? They had no what? They have no food. So the, the crops don't grow. There's, there's no rain to grow the crops. The ground maybe is, is not what it used to be. Well, there's no way they can grow the crops. And back then, they didn't just get in the car, drive up to Walmart, and pick out the shelf what they wanted to eat. If they didn't grow it, they didn't eat it. And if they couldn't grow it, they couldn't eat it, and they would starve to death. So the first thing they faced was something that was completely, obviously, out of their control. They faced a famine, an economic downturn. We've been there. Some of you face the loss of a job, financial stress, just because of the state of our world and nation's economy. It's the way it is. You didn't do anything. You didn't make unwise decisions. You didn't blow your money. You just happen to be financially stressed right now because of an economic downturn. That's what they're facing. And they are drastically affected by it. We see in the subsequent verses, they're forced to move. Realize this was this was unusual back then. I realize that many of you, several years ago, as I have talking to you, you, you grew up here and you went where to go get a job? You went no, You went to Michigan. You moved and you went to get a job. That was standing. That was pretty typical from what I understand. A lot of folks from out here did that. And then you came back and you settled back in and you retired here or you came back and got another job, whatever it was. You understand that for them, that would, that would have been way, way, way off the beaten path. That would have been something that they would have, would have done only as a matter of complete desperation when they leave where they had grown up, to go find food somewhere else, only because they absolutely had to. Not just because there was a better situation there. There was no situation where they were. They had to leave. They changed jobs. They leave everything behind. So the first lemon that sheweth them is the same. And the second is is that, that Ruth was childless. We see in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1 that they lived in Moab for or in the... Yeah, no, I've got it for 10 years. And, and what, what happens during that time? The only husband dies, and then her sons die, and they are left by themselves. There, there's 10 years there of childlessness. I understand the, the, uh, the impact of this, the importance of having that area, especially obviously the male area during this time, to have children was a sign of God's blessing. And they believe that if you didn't have children, that somehow God was against you. That if you did have plenty of children, it was obvious that God was for you. You see over and over in the Old Testament stories of women who will cry out to God, and say, God, please open my womb, that I may have children. They thought it a sign of God's blessing. And, and even the, the use of slaves or secondary wife to, to, to produce a male heir in the Old Testament. You see Abraham and Sarah doing that. Highlights the importance of children. Children provided for them financial security, continued the family line. It was it was a sign that the covenant was continuing between God and His people. It protected the family holdings and so on. so, when they had no children, it was a big, big deal—not just emotionally, though I'm sure they felt that as well. But any major implications? They they faced obviously wondering if because of this famine, because. They had no children. Is God still there? What's He up to? Have we been forgotten? Have we been overlooked? They had a natural limit. The second category was in the physical realm. The first part of that is that they were from home. So the man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and went to the land of Moab, the district country that they went to. Life for a foreigner during this time would have been particularly difficult, starting over. No guarantees of safety or provision for food or any necessities. They're away also from the promised land. If you remember from the time of Abraham all the way through the conquest of the land of Canaan in the book of Joshua, holding on to the promised land and receiving that was a huge, huge part of the national identity of Israel. Because when they're forced to leave the promised land, it's as if God's blessing has been shut off. And their little part of the promised land was particularly special. Maybe you felt this way about where you grew up and Mary County, somewhere else, and you got your little slice of heaven. That's probably what they thought about Bethlehem because they were the people that it seems that even during this time of judges when the people did whatever they wanted, they were the folks who still hung on to the Lord. So maybe they, they thought that, you know, we're, we're forced to move. We're forced to change everything and leave the place that we love. Bethlehem actually means of bread, and praise. And certainly all of that had run out. They were also unprotected. In, in verse 7, we see that they take off alone. They had no men with them. They go back on this journey from Moab to Bethlehem alone. Women during this particular period of time were much more vulnerable uh, than they are today. Uh, women uh, were, were left alone, could be attacked, could be abused, and so on, uh, much more often than it even happens today. And even in Bethlehem, when they returned there, there was a chance that they could be uh, molested or, or uh, attacked uh, in the fields themselves. We see that by implication of the story. So you have this natural element, you have physical, then you've got the relational. They, they lose their, their husbands, their, they only lose their sons. We see this in verses 3-5 in chapter 1. There's obvious pain associated with that. If you lost anyone close to you, particularly a spouse or a child, then, then you know far away more than, than most in this room who have not done through that. the deep pain that comes with that. The relational loss is huge. It's not the same way that you and I would about that. They weren't less human. <laughs> they weren't different than us. They only even talked about how it affected her. She said, my life is bitter. God has turned against me. I have no hope. They also, with that, lost their income, their protection, their identity. The dreams of their future, their standard of living, their social status, all of that was gone with the loss of their man. So they lose that and then they wind up alone. Absolutely alone, physically, emotionally. Their companions are gone. Their whole family is gone. They leave everything behind in Bethlehem only to have more taken from them when they arrive in the land of Moab. So here they go back, all alone, and the away loss. Then you have the financial part of this too. You see that life was throwing at them some natural lemons, then some, some physical things, relationally and, and then financially. To be a widow meant that you were poor, too. To it meant that you were outside the realm of financial and legal protection. You, you lacked your physical protection as well. They had no prospects, especially for Naomi, of future financial gain and, and protection. She says, I, and I... I don't have another husband. I'm too old for that anyway, she says. The financial situation turned very sour. To show them gleaning in the fields. This shows just how poor they were. The law protected poor people. And certainly, God has a special place for widows, it says, and the poor throughout the Scripture. But for them to have to go and glean behind the, the harvest, basically what they would do. If you're not familiar with that, if you're a city boy like me, Oh, some of you are going to laugh. Oh, yeah, you really know what you're talking about. But right, play along for just a second. But as the people would get go through and harvest the grain, some will fall to the ground, and the poor were required and allowed by law to be able to go and pick up what's said. Certainly not much, but enough maybe to get a meal or two out of and to sustain themselves. For them to have to do that, we see in chapter 2, highlights the fact that certainly they were good for There's also an emotional aspect of this. Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant or presentness, but call me Mara, which means bitterness. There's an emotional part of it. You felt as if I'm not the same person I once was because all these things have happened to me. I might as well change my name and change my identity because I'm not the same person. I used to be this way, and because of all this, now I'm completely different. There's no joy in my life. I don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. It, 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 that's what she was dealing with. She says in verse 21 of chapter 1, I, I left full, but the Lord has brought me back into. Yeah. Some of you didn't. Know. Some of you could have written that quote. I, I used to be full. Lots of joy in my life. Lots of things to live for. And now, I'm empty. got nothing on She lost all of her dreams. These crushing events for her were unbearable. She's older. She's vulnerable. The future for her is bleak. And all these other lemons that were thrown at her really conspired for the worst one of all, and that's the emotional. Okay, I can deal with the natural stuff, the physical, even relational, maybe the financial, but when your hope starts to leave you, it's a completely different story. And that's what they were left holding. Here they are with a handful of lemons thrown at them all at once in a short period of time. Now, I want the good news is that we only read chapter 1. Now, in case you didn't notice, I'm not going to read to you chapters 2, 3, and 4. All right? But the story doesn't end after chapter 1. It doesn't end with them holding all the lemons, and then it says, the end, good luck, go deal with it, hope it works out for you. It doesn't end there, and thank God it doesn't. Because the story goes on. To show what happens when God gets involved, and certainly you know He was involved all the way through it. It doesn't involve them; these characters in the story making lemonade out of what was thrown at them. You don't see that. Them trying to figure it all out on their own. But it shows God making lemonade out of the lemons that were handed to them. And in every category, God turns the lemons into lemonade. Look at your look at your outline. Look them the right-hand side. You see here they get the lemon, the natural lemon of a family. What does God provide? The harvest. God provided, it said in chapter 1, food in Bethlehem. He heard the prayers of his people. They arrived at the harvest time in, a, in an abundant harvest, and they're able to glean and even get more than was required by the law. The women of being childless. And at the end of chapter 4, we see the birth of Ruth's son, Obed, who was a blessing to their family. A blessing this genealogy, if chapter 4, says to their nation. And certainly because Jesus came through that family line of blessing not only to them in that time, and not only to the nation and their particular ancestors, but to the world as a whole. The physical limit of being away from home is changed when they returned to Bethlehem, to the homeland, to the house of bread and praise that had been restored to what it was, living up to its name. The limit of being unprotected is is turned around when they take refuge, Boaz says, under the Lord's wings, which means that they found his favor and his blessing and his protection, and also under the symbolic nature of Boaz, covering Ruth with his cloak, his coat, to show that he is accepting her as his prospective wife and will take responsibility for her. They once were unprotected with no one to look out for them in the end, they find that God had been looking out for them the whole time and also provided someone else to do that as well. The relational limit of, of losing their husbands and their sons is turned around when Boaz comes into the picture. He's the ideal husband, their redeemer. He's responsible for Ruth. He goes above and beyond. He's pictured in the scripture as a gentle, generous man who values Ruth not just for what she looks like, but for her godly character. But he's if you are not in a relationship like that, or maybe your marriage is not, a, you weren't uh, blessed with a husband like that—somebody who values who you really, really are. And I praise God to so many men in this church that that's what they value: their wives and their daughters and the other women in this church, who they really are. That's Boaz. He's honorable. He's a godly employer. He's a provider. He's a nurturer. He's an ideal kind of guy, and then. Obed is born, and it's said in chapter 4 to Naomi, you'll be a restorer, a renewer of your life, He will sustain you and give you hope. The limit of being alone is solved by Ruth staying with Naomi. She shares in her sorrow and her grief, vows to be with her, she even works on her behalf, going to glean to bring back food and so on. The financial limit of being poor is solved when God meets their needs at every single time. They're to glean in an abundant harvest. Boaz, who they happened to come into his field. You understand, God is the God of any perceived coincidence. You may come across. They happened to be in his field. Who is Boaz? A prosperous and influential man. God needed their needs. And so they regained the, the financial and legal protection they lost. The emotional limit of being empty is shown at the end of the story to be replaced with fullness. And this is the movement of the entire story. From emptiness at the beginning to fullness at the very end. Naomi is congratulated. She's not left empty. The whole ordeal ends in her restoration. At the start, you get this picture. There she is at the funeral service with her husband and her sons. Burying them somewhere in the land of Moab. Weeping with her daughters-in-law who had just lost everything. Get that snapshot in your mind. And then you fast forward to chapter 4. And Naomi's story in this book ends with her holding her grandson, who is her restorer of life. The one who renews and gives her brand new hope. That's the picture that God is drawing through all of this. The truth is, that only God can take the lemons that were thrown at them and thrown at us and make lemonade from them. How then do we apply this particular story? What do we do moving forward from here? Do we just sit? Do we just do nothing at all and just just say, well, I guess God's got it. I'm just going to kind of sit here and not leave the house or I'm not going to leave church or whatever. I really don't think that's the case. I think in the midst of us trusting God to make lemonade, there are some things that we can do that will seem somewhat passive, but I really don't believe they are. You'll see there at the bottom of your bulletin some, some blanks and you can maybe remember these words as we move forward. What does it mean to trust God to make lemonade? Well, first, that word trust is involved. But just leaning on Him, they spoke over and over of God's control. They knew He was in charge. They knew He was good. They knew He had it all together. Did they experience different emotions than we do? No. But they maintained their trust verbally, their trust in God. I may not like this, but I know God. He is in control, and I can trust Him. And then there is the element of waiting. They go back to Bethlehem. They're simply faithful in the meantime while they wait on God to deliver them from their situation. Though we may disagree, God is never late. God is never early. He is always, always right on His timing, which most of the time, I have to admit to you from personal experience, is not my time. You ever have a bad day and you just think, well, you know, I'm in a hurry and God's not, you know, that's just why I'm having a bad day. We can we can wait on God because He is always always right on His timing. The truth is He knows which lemons you've got in your hands right now. Maybe these categories may be different ones. Waiting on God to do something, waiting on God to make that lemonade out of your life, is not stoic to where you don't experience any emotion. It's not even passive. In fact, in Isaiah it says that, that in, in doing that, in hoping and waiting on the Lord, we, we rise up like eagles. We have new wind in our sails as we place our hope in God. It's believing and hoping in the promises and the goodness and the timing of God. And then we see in chapter 3, they, they attempt something on God's behalf. You say, well, this just sounds really passive. I've had a bunch of things happen to me. I guess I don't need to do anything at all. I really think that the foundation, obviously, is trusting that God will take care of it, and at the same time, we see that when Naomi finds out that Boaz is a close relative who can redeem, the Bible says, and buy back both Ruth and all their property and help them move forward in this situation, what do they do? Well, I guess we'll just wait on God to miraculously introduce us all. I don't do that at the Holy says, three, dress yourself up, get ready, because I don't really think God is in on this, and you're going to see if He is. They attempt something on God's behalf. Are they irrational and unbiblical? I really don't think so. But they do what they believe God had called them to do. They attempted something for God. You may be a person this morning who, in the midst of you holding all the lemons and feeling crushed under the weight of all of that, trusting God, waiting on Him, that God may open a door for you in a particular area to move forward." Whether that's an area of ministry, whether, that, whether that's just a, a, an element of praise in your life, something that you can do to say, God, I'm going to attempt to do this on your behalf. Does it have to be big? No. Does it have to be small? No. Does it have to be somewhere in between? I have no idea. But when God opens doors for you, are you willing to do what you know is in line with God's will, even in the midst of those limits that you're filling? Are you willing to attempt things on His behalf to, to do what God has put in your heart to do? even in the midst of your discouragement and crushing. And then finally, they, they accepted. They really did. Throughout this whole book, they dealt with human emotion. They were crushed. But they expected. They expected that God would do something. They, they didn't just sort of toss a penny in the wishing well. They expected. We serve a gracious and abundant and loving God and He can, and He will, turn our situation around. They served, and we serve the God who is in charge of the natural. They served, and we serve the God who is in charge of the physical, the relational, the financial, the emotional. God is in charge of all of that, and He's shown to be this. He's in control of the mention of even the things that seem coincidental. He loves us. He's always faithful. We can't expect him to bring lemonade from the lemons that we're holding. And you and I are going to have a choice to sleep. Because you're going to get something thrown at you. You ready? Okay, now. So wake you up every once in a while, all right? Now you're ready. hit your neighbor, all right? If somebody, listen, somebody doze up, that's the one i in. <clears throat> the truth is, you know as well as I do, something's going to be thrown at you this week. You may have already had it, and now you're holding it. Now you're doing it. The choice is going to have to be made now. What do I do? How do I respond when life has thrown lemons at me? Now you you can two different ways you can handle this. I'm going to give you something before you leave today. Done that before? You got a choice tonight. Life throws you lemons. You can squeeze on your hard. You can try with all you've got. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to really do something about it. I just need to bear down and try and hold it. You know what you're going to make? Lemon juice. You know, lemon juice is awesome. You ever had lemon juice? Lemon juice. Oh, it's awful. Awesome. When you get a lemon thrown at you this week, you go ahead. And you try to figure it out on your own. You go ahead. And you try and all your human wisdom. You try and all your smarts and all your strength and everything you come up with. And all the people you talk to. And all you're gonna get is a little bottle of lemon juice. It'll be different than lemon. There it is. It's ice. And let me tell you, i still tasting it. Oh. You can't take that lemon. And you can turn that limit over to God. And you can trust Him with it, knowing that He's got the perfect remedy. And you can say, Lord, I don't really know what to do. And God, God, is a whole handful of limits. And I know if I start squeezing on, or if I start trying to figure things out on my own, and God, if I just think of a good solution, I talk to all my friends, and I even go talk to a pastor, but I'm really just going to try to figure this thing out. Guys, I, I, but, but really, well, I, I want to give this to you. And you may not know exactly how it works. You may not know exactly all the steps that God will go through. But I can tell you this. That in the end, God will produce something very different from what do. God will produce in your life lemonade. And you look back and say, only God could have done that. And let me tell you, it will taste a little different. The i don't it, this is and that's good. Here's the deal. I want to give you this morning a little bit of lemonade. And so for you, just because I love you, I have for each of you your own special packet of lemonade. Now. If you don't like it, listen, I'm sorry. But, but, but pull along, okay? I also want you, won't you help me out if you, if you don't mind. Uh, Jeremy, can you, can you grab anything and help me? Brown, what's your number? Here's what I want to do. I want us to, as we, as we close, I want you to take one per person, not one per family. Listen, everybody gets one, all right? I want you to take one per person this morning. And here's what I want you to do. This week, you will have Something thrown at you That's a limit. You, you'll know it. You'll have maybe a, something that happens naturally that you just think, I don't know why in the world. You may have something physical that happens. You may have something relationally or financially or emotionally that happens. And here's what I want you to do. I want you, when that occurs, or when you're already holding them and you get home this afternoon, thank you, Mark. when you get home this afternoon, or sometime this week, I want you to take that little packet of lemonade, and as you pour that into that bottle of water, and as you take that up, I don't want it to be, Lord, I'm going to step up now and I'm going to take care of this. I want it to be a moment of humility when you say to the Lord Jesus Christ, I need you to make lemonade of this situation And through this, Lord, I'm going to remember that only You can do this. And You place Your trust in Him. And You say, Lord, I'll wait on Your time. And God, when You show me, I'll attempt something on Your behalf if that's what You want me to do in the meantime. And God, I'm expecting, because of Your goodness and Your graciousness, that lemonade will come from this situation. And don't forget, as you do that, that the ultimate lemonade that God made from the ultimate lemon of our sin and our depravity is Jesus Christ and His an offer of salvation for all who That's the lemonade. That proves that God can take your situation and turn it on its feet for His glory. And to give you not a bitter taste, sour taste, but a sweet taste of only what God can do. He did that. It shows it primarily through giving Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice. The sacrifice for our sins it gives us forgiveness instead of that bitter, nasty judgment that sin brings. give us the opportunity to drink that kind of women. So this week, as you do that, you take that home and you make it a moment of prayer. You say, during my quiet time this morning, I drank lemonade. Praise God. Maybe that you drank lemonade. Well, you go, Lord, I'm going okay. to God, I've got a handful of lemons, but I'm trusting you to make lemonade. As I've mentioned, Jesus is that ultimate lemonade. If you're a person here this morning who you're not sure, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, receive his free gift of grace, received his free gift of forgiveness and salvation maybe the lemonade you need to receive this morning, place to stay to the place the are safe to have to receive it, that it changed your life, to take away the bitter sting of sin and ultimate judgment, and to replace it with life, both fear and fear. when you do that, by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I, I recognize my sin. I need your forgiveness. I know you are the Son of God. I believe in you. Jesus, I commit my life to you. Lord Jesus, thank You that even through a civil illustration of lemonade, that we see Your grace in Your Thank You, Lord Jesus, that, that You became the sacrifice for us, sacrifice doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves, delivering us from sin, removing us from judgment and giving to us eternal life of Lord, I pray for those who do not yet believe you are the cause guy, and you are the one and only way to get to heaven. I pray, Lord, this morning, and today would be, and uh, this day we pray that you convict us, open our hearts, to teach us to trust you. Thank you, Lord, that when we rise those women to us you can, and always do whether it be here or for all the time it's people or you can only want with we to make your dreams, so just wait on you to accept things that you may ask and to accept. And you your goodness, that's all we're, just, we're,
1: just, we're just.